Can you even spell bricks without the I or the S for that matter? I'm sure you've heard it by now. It was all over the place earlier this month. The BRICS countries, they're holding their summit in the month of August, and they're going to announce, according to many, a brand new currency, a new currency that is going to challenge the U.S. dollar and eventually dethrone it as the global new global reserve. And they're going to do so by going back to the gold standard, at least according to the world's gold sellers, who are telling us to expect the dollar to plummet to zero because that's what always is going to happen in these situations, and it never does. Set aside the fact that the U.S. dollar is not the global reserve currency. In fact, the euro dollar is. The BRICS idea is already in serious trouble before it even got started. The I in BRICS India has already said unofficially that it has no interest in this brand new currency to begin with, which is odd because out of the five, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. India is in the best shape. Its economy is doing well. Its finances and monetary system, unlike China, we're not seeing dollar bond defaults one after another after another. Not only that, the Indians have a well-known and well-earned desire and taste for gold bullion, at least among the population. So, one of the most gold-friendly countries there are, the best shape out of the five, the one that you really would want to use as a basis and springboard for a global reserve currency. And instead, earlier this month, India's external affairs minister, Dr. S. Jashankar, said, currencies will remain a national issue for a long time to come, meaning the government's focus in India is on internationalizing and further internationalizing the rupee as India continues to rise as the, as the best example of emerging markets emerging. So without India, that's already a huge setback. But now we're hearing that maybe South Africa was not really on board either. South African uh, ambassador at large to Asia Anil Suklo said on Thursday, there's never been talk of a BRICS currency. It's not on the agenda. What we have said and we continue to deepen is trading in local currencies and settlement in local currencies. Because the euro dollar, as we know on this channel, has been malfunctioning for almost 16 years now, presenting enormous challenges. That Countries around the world, and not just the BRICS, have been attempting to deal with in various ways for a very long time. And as they try to navigate their way through this global dollar shortage, what happens? Every single new uh, idea that comes up, which is never really new ideas, but every new agreement and every bilateral arrangement that, come, that, uh, that, is, that is signed and, and negotiated, we hear it's the end of the U.S. dollar. The dollar is about to go to zero. It's going to be dethroned, and better that it's dethroned by something that is backed in gold. So what we're going to talk about today is, is the U.S. dollar about to be dethroned because it's not the U.S. dollar, it's the euro dollar, and why that's not the case. And even if it was, could a gold standard come back and do the dethroning? But first, I'm Jeff. This is Euro Dollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, we have Eurodollar University memberships available that talk about this very topic to begin with. And it's one that we need to talk about because there are so many misconceptions about a reserve currency, what it is and what it's supposed to do. It's not the US dollar, it's the Eurodollar system. Memberships where we have exclusive content, including content that I'm going to share with you today on the anniversary of our launch of Eurodollar University. 
We also have research subscriptions available. Don't want to forget those. Research, I contribute a daily briefing at Markets Insider Pro, as well as a deep dive analysis where we dive deep into these topics, including I dove deep into this topic just a few days ago, deeper than we're going to go to here. All the information about memberships and research subscriptions, eurodollar.university, celebrating one year of existence. Going back to the gold standard, it sounds romantic. It sounds elegant. And to the sound money proponents like myself, it sounds like a great idea. But there really is no way back to something like gold. And to show you why, at the end of this video, in a couple of minutes, I'm going to present to you Eurodollar University's The Basics video number one, which explains why we moved away from gold settlement and commodity token settlement, and even physical settlement, and into the Eurodollar era where we do things electronically. Why do we do things electronically? And why is the Eurodollar resemble more closely a computer network than it does a, a currency system? What does that actually matter in the context of a reserve currency? Because a reserve currency, first of all, is not what you maybe think it is. And what the reserve currency actually has to do is be able to intermediate from very, between very different systems. How can someone in Korea transact and trade with somebody on the other side of the planet that has no use for um, that currency or has no real ability to transact except through a common medium, a common medium that is available in more places. That's really what a reserve currency is. In, one, in days long, long, long gone, it was called a vehicle currency because you could, you could move into that currency and then move out of it into the other side of the planet really easily. But how does that actually work? It sounds really simple. I just get some dollars and then I use those dollars to pay on the other side of the planet. But how do the dollars actually get from here to there? That's really the issue here. That's the part that the BRICS countries, as well as all the other challenges to the euro dollar's dominance, have never really worked out. In fact, the BRICS have been at it for a very long time. All the way back in 2010, there was something created called the BRICS Interbank Cooperation Mechanism, uh, the idea of creating BRICS pay. That was 13 years ago. We don't hear anything much about it nowadays because it never really got off the ground. You don't force a reserve currency from the top down. It is something that happens organically from the bottom up, which is why the euro dollar was so successful in the reserve currency business, because it was, it was first of all focused because banks had a tremendous incentive of servicing their customers in a globalizing environment. Therefore, they were able to respond to the needs of those customers because they were offshore, because they were able to experiment in all these various monetary forms, and most of all, because we don't use actual currency here. Again, the video I'm going to show you at the end of this one explains exactly what I mean and why that is. And so the challenge of replacing the euro dollar system isn't, hey, let's go back to gold and try it that way. The challenge is replicating all of the things and all of the factors and all of the efficiencies the euro dollar system has been able to introduce over the, uh, the almost 70 years of its operation. Probably goes back further than that. The official euro dollar operation in the mid 50s, there was something called a continental dollar that was in operation and maybe as far back as the end of World War II. But either way, 
to dethrone the euro dollar means to replace all of those capacities. And that's something that various countries, including this BRICS pay experiment, have found that is incredibly difficult to do, if not impossible. Now we can go on for quite a long time about what that means, but here the, a, lot of, a question a lot of people ask is, can we go back to the gold standard? And the answer is sadly, no. Not in this 21st century where we require commerce and monetary settlement to happen at the speed of light. And so here I'm going to introduce to you in celebration of the one year anniversary of Eurodollar University, our basics video series, the first one, what is money and what is money and how does it work in an international setting? In this, our first episode, we start by asking the most basic of all questions. What is money? When asked to consider that very question, most of us understandably think of those funny looking pieces of paper with government scribbling all over them. Tangible script, which declares itself legal tender. A physical Federal Reserve note, colloquially known as a dollar bill. Some might even think back further in time and tradition to when dollar bills were no more than written claims on commodity money or gold. In either case, money as a corporeal medium. Those are merely potential formats though, as money itself is even more basic. It is the second piece of a two-part process. First, there is a demand for payment, one which must be communicated between the parties engaged in any commercial or financial transaction. An exchange of goods and services which gives rise to the second piece in the process. The act of settling, therefore satisfying the demand for payment. Where money is a physical piece of government paper or privately held chunk of commodity, the act of settlement is in the physical exchange of whichever kind of token. This monetary for format is so intuitive we scarcely give it any thought. When you walk into a grocery store, the communication of demand for payment doesn't even need to be explicit. It is implicit once you take the goods out of your grocery cart, place them on the checkout and have them priced. Likewise, we pay, pun intended, very little notice to the act of settling that payment demand. But money does not necessarily have to be some official physical token declaring itself to be legal tender. Instead, whatever might be offered, which is suitable to both parties when payment is demanded. A medium that is first available to the buyer and then acknowledged by the seller as satisfying the seller's demand. What therefore makes the most effective monetary medium is one that is most widely acceptable as the means to settle the demand for payment, while at the same time being generally and easily accessible to anyone seeking to engage in commercial and financial transactions. This text will no doubt be recognizable to Eurodollar University scholars. It is something I use frequently for review prior to engaging in our classroom videos. 
The euro dollar came to be the world's reserve currency arrangement simply because it offered the most efficient and constructive means to satisfy both these monetary requirements. The communication of demand for payment and then the medium by which to settle those demands. In becoming this, it also became un unrecognizable as currency or money the public understandably associates with those terms. Indeed, as I remind Eurodollar University money study researchers before they daringly enter our classroom, the Eurodollar method most closely resembles a telecommunications network rather than what everyone has been left to imagine can be a reserve currency. But what does that really mean? Why a telecommunications network and how would one function as a global monetary basis? Let's use a crude and stylized example of international trade. This will be an overly simplified illustration just for our conceptual purposes, as even centuries ago, sophisticated money markets, more like the euro dollar than not, had arisen and flourished in places like London and Amsterdam. The reason why they had are largely the same as what gave rise to our current method. We can imagine some goods produced in Britain then shipped along to America. The goods producer will obviously demand payments for those goods, communicating that demand in physical paper format, which like the products being sold, has to be transported across an entire ocean. Once the paper draft is processed, then accepted as valid, the demand for payment having been communicated, the buyer of the goods in the US has to arrange for the shipment of physical money, gold in this example, all the way back across the ocean to then finally satisfy the original demand for payment. It is a cumbersome, drawn out and highly inefficient process. From beginning to end, it might take a prolonged period of time, slowing down and limiting the commercial process by the maximum speed at which payment demands might have to be literally communicated and the equally lengthy process to return tokens in order to settle them. A process which is fraught with substantial risks. Physical money requires physical transportation, itself an increased cost, as well as susceptible to frequent interruption. A shipment of gold might encounter anything from pirates to severe storms which could keep it from reaching its ultimate destination to complete the compulsory two-part monetary procedure. Rather than undertake the uncertainty and hazards of physical settlement by actual shipment of tokens, what if instead merchants on both sides of the ocean could appeal to bank agents who would be given the task of settling payment demands in another more efficient fashion on behalf of those merchants? Instead of shipping New York gold back to London, the bank in New York could credit the bank in London the acquired amount on behalf of the goods producer. Since trade regularly frequently goes in both directions, the next time goods might be sent in the other direction from the US to the UK, the London bank would pay for them on behalf of the local UK buyer using the credit it has already been given on the banks of the book in New York. These banks in New York and London need only keep track of how much is owed from one place to the other and how much is owned and by whom in each place. No physical money would need to be moved anywhere, only book entries on individual book bank ledgers. 
These merchant banks, therefore, could process monetary transactions in any common theoretical or fictive medium which is acceptable to both processors and the merchants on, on whose behalf they're acting, even if no physical money ever once changes hands. Remember, money is nothing more than the means to settle a demand for payment. In this arrangement, it doesn't need to be gold or physical dollar bills. A demand for payment is communicated and then settled by nothing more than concurrent book entry on these ledgers. The use of book entry rather than physical medium has been a fixture of the euro dollar system from its very beginning, indeed a full part of its appeal. The efficiency to handle international commerce and financial transactions freed from the uncertainties, physical risk, and huge time constraints of using paper or commodity tokens. As Milton Friedman long ago observed, and as I repeatedly remind our classroom participants in those classroom videos today, the real amount of tokens used is negligible. Using this method of settlement, the main constraints no longer relate to the physical shipment of medium, rather in communicating than processing demands for payment. To improve monetary productivity, the system cut down on the time needed to do those. Taking advantage of advances in communications technology, this Eurodollar could send payment demands at nearly the speed of light, transferring them almost instantly, no matter how far the distance between monetary agents. Leveraging the near simultaneous innovations and adoptions of computer technology, payment demands and book entry settlements could be processed, likewise, at lightning speed. Being able to cross any distance, this network is able to reach almost any place on earth which has the desire to participate in a global monetary medium, which can most fluidly and effectively intermediate as any true reserve currency must. All the necessary components to the most basic monetary arrangements are present. Communication of demand for payments, settlement of those payments by book entry, all the while the incredibly productive possibility to process both in unthinkable quantities with unimaginable haste. But in order to truly capitalize on, then fully maximize these capabilities, some degree of centralization and standardization is absolutely required. While itself a drawn out evolutionary process which deserves a future video focusing just on it, here in our simple stylized example, We'll imagine large bank institutions who invested in the capacity to leverage telecommunication breakthroughs so as to meet the monetary requirements of global monetary payments. In cooperation, they created shared monetary utilities like chips, whose purpose was to, more fir to first standardize and then efficiently manage and process payment demands and book entry settlements among a truly world-spanning reach of systemic participants. These central money dealers, the bookkeepers, would also create and plug in other forms of monetary processing, such as financial marketplaces, which could be closely connected to this highly efficient structure. An architecture that far more closely resembles that of a computerized telecommunication 
Participating in it, unlocking the potential for so much prosperity is no longer about geography or national boundaries. What's required is nothing more than agreeing to the standards and practices of how demands for payments will be communicated and the book entry means of settling those. What Robert Rooster said of this euro dollar money in 1984 is, as it turned out, the literal truth. There are no pallets of physical cash, no wooden crates filled with bullion, no literal shipments of money or currency from one place to another. Who has the time and <clears throat> money for all that? Instead, this telecom money method can respond effectively to the ever-changing demands for payment demanded by the dynamic global marketplace, which never stands still. These new networks of interbank relations, however, do lead to other potential issues, as Mr. Rusa and others had surmised even back in the euro dollar's earlier days of operation. If money is now pure book entries that satisfy speed of light payment demands, who gets to decide how many book entries there can be and by how large they might ever be? If unconstrained by the amount of physical tokens that can be exchanged or could be exchanged at one time, therefore outside every kind of reach of the Federal Reserve, where and what are the system's limits? Those basic there is a reason, and this video showed you the reason why we moved away from commodity-based money to begin with. In our modern society, modern information society, the monetary system needs to be able to expand and react and move with the pace of the society it's meant to serve. Because money isn't wealth, it's a tool the commercial system needs to use in order to be at its peak efficiency. And to be at peak efficiency, we're not gonna go back to shipping gold bars. And if we're not gonna ship gold bars, what's the point of a gold exchange standard? So instead, to dethrone the euro dollar, we have to replace its capacities to process all of these transactions all across the world and be able to extend to the same reach the euro dollar has. It has to be widely available, as widely available, and as widely as acceptable as it is. Whatever is gonna challenge the euro dollar has a very, very tall task in front of it, which is why, despite the constant noises all throughout the last 15 years, really since 2009, no one's been able to come close to challenging the euro dollar. And that's not even the point here. The BRICS, the Chinese, the Russians, everybody, they have simply been trying to lower their dollar load because, not because the euro dollar doesn't work, but because the supply of currency in the euro dollar pipes and, and wires and in that system haven't been sufficient to allow for the same type of economic capacity as we had prior to the breakdown in 2007. We're not going back to a gold standard and there is not anything that can challenge the euro dollar's capacity anywhere on the horizon. The BRICS have been trying for 13 years with their BRICS pay system and they really haven't gotten all that far to begin with. And that's 13 years. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for celebrating one year of Eurodollar University. I truly appreciate it. All the support from our Eurodollar University subscribers, our members. And until next time, everybody take care.